Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Los Angeles to speak with William Updike of the Locked On Clippers podcast about the play from Danilo Gallinari in the NBA Africa game, what his return means for the Clippers this season, and what we can expect in that loaded Western Conference. We'll stay in LA, and we'll talk to Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers about the ESPN win projections that have the LA Lakers outside of the playoffs in the nine seed, what that means, and how... uh how wrong it could actually be. And lastly, we'll go to Portland to speak with Eric Gunderson of Locked On Blazers about the Portland Trailblazers' fortunes for this upcoming season, about their ESPN win projections as well, and whether they took a step backwards this offseason. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of Locked On NBA. This is your Monday edition. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at basketballmonster.com. Go and follow me on Twitter at redrock underscore b-ball. We're going to be diving into some of the ESPN win projection stuff on today's show, as well as touching on the form of Danilo Gallinari over in the NBA Africa game. So let's get to it. Now we're joined by one of the new hosts of the Locked On Clippers podcast, William Updike. It's been a great start uh, to the uh, revamped Locked On Clippers show, and you're here to join us today to talk about um, the Clippers, some of their off-season stuff, and something that happened over the last couple of days, and that was the NBA, the Africa game, and the MVP of that game was a Los Angeles Clippers player, and that was the rooster, Danilo Gallinari. William, first of all, welcome to Locked On NBA, and secondly, um, that should give the Clippers fans a, a little bit of hope that... Uh, Gallinari is uh, is ready to go for this upcoming season. Absolutely. Good time to be a Clippers fan. Thanks for having me on, by the way. Now, Gallinari missed basically the entirety of last season with uh, with multiple torn glute muscles, which is not an injury you've seen all that, all that often, let alone twice to the same person in the same season. He has notoriously been injury-prone. He started off the season with a broken hand from punching someone in the face over uh, over in Europe and then uh, suffered those uh, those butt-cheek muscle tears during the season. Um, but when he's been healthy back, yeah, not that he's ever been you know, ridiculously healthy, but when he plays those 60 games as he did for the Nuggets, he can be a really valuable player. How do you see or what do you think the Clippers missed with uh, Gallinari sidelined so much last season? Oh, uh, last season, I mean, I think a, a real possible playoff contender at that at that eighth seed. Um, I think with with him on the team, it definitely elevates us to that to that position. It's really hard for me to get a good read on how he fits in totally, just because the the sample size was so small. But uh, with him and Tobias uh, working together, I thought that combination worked a lot better. Um, obviously, there were some issues fit wise with him and Blake. And then, you know, the injury bug, both of those guys. Also, both broke hands from punching somebody. Is that a new requirement to be a Clippers veteran? 
it's uh, hey, let's, let's hope it isn't because we don't want to see too many more uh, face punches going on and broken hands as a result. <laughs> Absolutely not. But you're right with Gallinari. He started off the season here and he struggled last year after he came back from that hand injury. He struggled to fit with Griffin. His free throw attempt rate was down. He shot, I believe, under 40% from the field for the entire season. But the second half, when he actually did get on the court and play with Tobias Harris as a 3-4 combination, they worked a lot better and he started to put together some pretty strong games. And we have to remember, the Clippers were starting guys like CJ Williams and Tyrone Wallace had small forward for chunks of last season and for as impressive as Wallace was and Williams held his own they're not they're not playoff caliber starting wing players so Gallinari showed that talent again showed what he can do it's just that all Clippers fans have to be hoping that he can stay healthy now William if he does stay healthy and I I use healthy in uh, in respect to Gallinari's career and he plays 65 games do you think that this team as they're currently constructed they just actually made a move today to trade away Sam Decker because they did have too many guaranteed uh, contracts uh, on the team. Um, are, they a, are they a team that can challenge for the for the playoffs? You know, I, I see us currently as just outside that. I, I was looking at the rundown today. If you look at pure forwards in the Western Conference, uh, from an offensive standpoint, I really like this combination with, with Gallo and Harris. I mean, uh, Gallo did struggle a little bit last season. But traditionally, you know, has been a knockdown shooter. Uh, I believe that his playmaking is getting better. He had a couple of great assists in that Africa game. And generally, is just a real heads-up player. Uh, so I would actually put them, in, in terms of offense, from just pure forwards, I would actually put them in probably just the top five or right outside it in the Western Conference. Uh, obviously, you know, the Lakers, Warriors, Timberwolves, and probably the Spurs would be, be right ahead of there. But I... I from an offensive standpoint, I really like this pairing, and I do really like Gallo's game. Obviously, you know if he's a linchpin uh, for our like for our dependence on 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 playoff contention, that's that's somewhat of a worry. I think he's had maybe three seasons in his uh, career thus far where he's played sixty games or more. So that uh, I mean isn't encouraging, but uh, when he's healthy, you know he he is extremely productive. It's. Uh, it- it is going to be tough for them to make the playoffs. There's the eight teams that made the playoffs last season. You throw the Lakers and LeBron into that mix. You throw the Denver Nuggets, who missed out by one game at the end of the season, into that mix as well. Then the Clippers, so that's 11. And 11 doesn't go all that smoothly into eight spots. So there's going to be some attrition there, obviously. But who knows what happens there? Maybe another team suffers uh, a player getting multiple uh, gluteus muscle uh, tears during the season and limits them to 21 games. Anything can happen in that regard. Now, the Clippers did rely upon a lot of young players. I've already mentioned CJ Williams. Tyrone Wallace last season. We had Jawan Evans and Sindarius Thornwell getting a lot of playing time. We had Milos Teodosic. Not that he is a rookie in the traditional sense in terms of inexperience, but it was his first season in the NBA. Then he was injured. But they get back a lot more in terms of veteran depth. We're going to have Patrick Beverly available here, and he played the first handful of games of the season. Gallinari's back. Um, they switched out DeAndre Jordan for Marching Gortat. But it does appear, even though they did have two lottery selections this year, William, that Doc Rivers will uh, perhaps lean back on some of his old tendencies to go really heavily uh, reliant on the veterans because he's got such an abundance of them now on the roster. Definitely, definitely. Uh, you didn't mention Avery Bradley either, who I will see getting hopefully a lot more playing time if he can stay healthy as well. Yeah, like he's a guy that came across in that Griffin trade and 
what he plays six games maybe for the Clippers with that groin injury until he yeah. was done for the season. So that's another name that comes back into that mix. Um, and this is this is what Rivers has done basically before last season. He said he enjoyed last season and, and playing with those young guys and working with, and everyone was really impressed across the NBA landscape with the job that Rivers was able to do molding these young guys. But it does appear that things are going to revert back to the old Doc Rivers style of, yeah, not necessarily burying the young guys because I don't think we can put Shea Gilgis-Alexander on the same level as CJ Wilcox or or Bryce Johnson, or any, or Reggie Bullock, any of those other uh, first round, late first round picks that he refused to play. But it is going to be an over, overly uh, heavily reliance on uh, on the older players on this team. Do you think that the uh, we'll touch on some more Clippers uh, off season stuff? The the trade bringing in March and Gortat, uh, you know, obviously with letting DeAndre Jordan walk, is that? Um, how much of a downgrade is that? And, and do you think that it's coverable with guys like yeah, Mike Scott that they brought in to play small ball five at times and, of course, uh, re-signing Montrez Harrell? Uh, well, I, I, love Harrell at the, I love Harrell at the five. He's like one of my favorite players uh, to watch right now. But uh, Gortat is, you know, is a downgrade, especially in terms of rebounding and defense uh, over DeAndre. I do think that he brings some, his own kind of interesting skill set, though. Obviously a great screener. Uh, I'd love to see him more involved. With that, especially with like Gallo and Harris uh, kind of getting some more motion uh, off ball and, and, and kind of working that way. But uh, overall, I don't know. It's so, it's so hard to judge because I, I, I think that DeAndre is, is, you know, obviously one of the, the greatest rebounders in the game. And, and he's so great at, you know, catching lobs and, and, and doing what he does, posting up. But uh, I do see Gortat's game is, is a little bit more well-rounded, kind of, uh, you know, a, a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none. Um, but it, I, I don't know. I'm excited to see how, how it works and how he's going to fit in in that front court. It is going to be interesting for the Clippers. It is a change. They've got yeah, numerous exciting players like Gilgis Alexander, the return of Gallinari, just a, a big change for this Clippers team who was yeah, really valiant all of last season. We saw a lot of development for plenty of young players. William is going to have all that info for us over on Locked On Clippers as he gets things started. What have, what have you uh, and Charles got uh, in store for the, um, for the coming weeks over on Locked On Clippers? Uh, we're going to be looking more at our rookies and the games kind of developing a lot of talk about uh, Sindarius and kind of theoretical lineups for, for how this is going to run. Um, we obviously, you know, have our wish list and we'd, we'd like to see a lot of these young guys played more. Uh, but kind of talking about uh, the, the potential floors and ceilings for this team in the Western Conference and really where this franchise goes. I mean, I, I feel like our identity has been uh, so defined for the last, you know, nearly decade. Um, and it, it, I feel as though it's a it's a kind of a sea change, and this season is going to be a big indicator for what kind of core we keep and what type of moves we're going to be looking to make in the off season. So we're going to be analyzing all that. As you know, it's a little bit of a slow NBA time right now, so it'll be we get into a lot of theoreticals this week and next probably. Go check out Locked On Clippers with the new host William and Charles. Go subscribe over there. And uh, William, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA for the first and what I'm sure will not be the last time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Right now, we bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Lakers podcast and, of course, a host of Locked On NBA as well. Anthony Irwin is on the line. We're going to be talking about the ESPN win projections that Kevin Pelton put out. And, uh, Anthony, first of all, how has the, uh, the reaction been from, uh, from Lakers fans to see uh, LA sitting there in the, uh, in the ninth seat in, uh, in Pelton's projections? Not great. It's like that. It's like that. <laughs> That that gif or gif, however you want to pronounce it, that not great Bob thing. It's just that was basically summed up 
Twitter for the last you know few days or so. How much do you think that the of those people who had you know wild reactions to this actually read the article that that Pelton put out, where he he explained why the Lakers were projected so low, and he you know honestly from his own perspective looks at it and says that I, I can't see why that they wouldn't make the playoffs, and I do predict that they will make them, but it's to do with the the, the way that the system uh, was working with so many new players joining the team, and you know over history has shown you know, big drops in those players joining new teams. In their overall RPM, and he expects LeBron to be immune to that sort of thing. But there, there is a rationale behind this, and, and in the end, I, I don't think if if Kevin was pressed to it to, to make a decision on his, on his playoff teams, that the Lakers would be would be on the outside. But not many people are actually reading into the reasons behind that, are they? No, I mean, as somebody who's been writing online content for five, <laughs> six, whatever years now, uh, people don't usually read the article. That's true. <laughs> so. So, you know, they see the headline, they see the, and, you know, part of this, I guess, the, the, the readers or the lack thereof, uh, deserve some of the blame for not really doing their end of the bargain and, and reading the actual content itself. But then, you know, like ESPN or, or some of these, uh, some of these, you know, content distributors on social media, they're also doing their kind of job here. But, but when they throw out there, oh my God, the Lakers aren't making the playoffs. You can't really necessarily hold it against fans for responding only to that if that's the extent of the relationship here. Yeah, of course. And that's why I wanted to, to bring it up here to, you know, to mention that they were projected there at 41 wins and in the ninth seed, but to explain the reasons behind it and to to explain you know, what the system was. And it wasn't actually them going in and just you know, making baseless projections or baseless predictions on, I think the Lakers are going to miss the playoffs. It was a lot more than that. Um, it said the 41 wins, there is still a rise from what they did last season, of course, but the Lakers bring in so many new different players. Look, plenty of stuff can go wrong. Can go wrong. And as someone you know, covering the Lakers, you've seen that in the past with the White Howard, Steve Nash uh, fiasco. I think you could you could uh, you could uh, label that as in, in the past, and obviously an extremely loaded Western Conference. How far off do you think that this you know, forty-one wins you know, could end up being by the end of the season? Do you think fifties in play, or is that like aiming your sights too high? I I prefer to do everything by ranges. Yep. Like even when I you know when people ask for my my greatest players or whatever list, I say I'd prefer to put players in ranges and. And for the Lakers, I would say if I if I was being completely logical here and 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 actually weighed out the the various scenarios, while also factoring in you know three to five wins of of extra distance on either end of the spectrum here, I'd say between I'd say between forty eight now forty five and fifty two wins would be the, about as high as I would put that. Yeah, uh, and, and then you know you you have you have you have you know could they be low forty two could they could they be higher than the fifty two could they go up to fifty four or fifty five you know if they really catch fire for stretches of the season you know there's some variance there based on injury and and the teams that they go up against so I would you know that kind of range there though I think it it. it makes up for everything that kind of goes on here. And I think the, the fans who responded the way that they did basically looked at it as like, wait, so you're telling me that LeBron is worth six wins. And, and if you're factoring in the variance that I did earlier with, with my range there, uh, you know, 
they could be even lower. They could be in the, the 30s of win totals. And, and I think fans there kind of responded and said, well, that doesn't quite make much sense. So I think, I think it was good that Pelton addressed that, you know, maybe his model overcorrected for something. Maybe, maybe, you know, some stuff went iffy or along those lines. But it's also possible that, and, and this is what fans do. And, and honestly, it gives us our job. The way that fans responded and, and the emotion that was behind it, like that keeps us employed. So I, I'm not, I think people should, you know, keep it together. And, and some of the response that he got personally, personal attacks and stuff like that, I think that's always out of bounds. But it's good that they respond the way that they do. And it's going to keep him kind of in, in headlines or in discussions here for, for the next week or so. Would you say that if you had to you know, you talk about win ranges, do you think it's more likely that the Lakers finish in the ninth seed or with one of the top two seeds in the Western Conference? Probably the former. I, I can't imagine. The, the top two seeds, like everything would have to go right. Yep. Everything. I mean, they'd, have to, they'd have to hit the ground running. They'd have to... They can't have any injuries during during the season. It's it would everything would have to play out in the absolute optimal scenario. And the other thing too is they would also you would also kind of be requiring uh, the the teams that they'd be going against to to really slip up. And and one thing that one theory that I keep kind of going back on here is that the the conference is so leveled out. There's only one or two teams that are truly legitimately uh tanking i i don't i think wins are going to be tough to come by in the western Conference. so you might see a, a bunch of teams grouped in that kind of 44 to 48 win range uh and and that you know those three to eight playoff spots are going to be really tough to come by yeah, they are because you know we're talking about a group of potentially eleven teams trying to get into eight spots. The eight playoff teams from last season, plus the Lakers, plus the Denver Nuggets who missed out by a game, plus the LA Clippers who get yeah you know, a whole bunch of players back from injury they didn't have last season. They'll be trying to knock on the door to get into that mix as well. So it is going to be hard with all these teams competing. Memphis is going to be better. Phoenix apparently doesn't want to be tanking anymore. They're going to be pushing. Not that it's necessarily going to be successful, but they're in that sort of mindset as well. So it is going to be interesting. Of course, the Lakers are already one of the most watched and talked about teams in the NBA. But I feel like, Anthony, that's only going to ramp up this season with LeBron there and to see how all of this works together with all these new players arriving, with uh, how Luke Walton handles the young guys versus the veterans, the rotation decisions, and whether they can, in fact, beat that 41-win projection, which I think most people will be pretty confident that they are, that they can. It's going to be an interesting season and uh, probably one that you're uh, very, very much ready to, to come in and look forward to. I, I really am in top to bottom. I mean, you, you know, this, you, you also host locked on NBA and, and I, and I, I'm just an NBA fan. I'm a, yeah. I love basketball and I love the, the way that the league is, has kind of come together. And this to me seems like the, the, the most exciting regular season that the NBA is heading into in a really long time. Uh, I, I can't wait. I, August, I've already started kind of looking ahead past August, <laughs> uh, just jumping ahead. Know in terms of stuff that I'll be doing and, and plans and stuff that's coming out movies wise, and I'll have to like remind myself. No, wait, we still have a whole month to go through here. 
It's going to be exciting. We know this this season there's so many storylines right across the league for everything Lakers related. Make sure you're checking out Locked On Lakers with Anthony and of course check out his uh his uh Locked On NBA show at the end of this week. Anthony, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Lastly, we'll go to Portland to speak with the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast, Eric Gunderson. Eric, um, the Blazers were the three seed last season. They won 49 games. Of course, they were unceremoniously dumped out of the playoffs by the New Orleans Pelicans. ESPN's uh, win projections uh, via Kevin Pelton came out in the last couple of days. And Portland fans, I guess, would be a little bit uh, dismayed, disappointed angry that they see Portland down there projected in the eighth seed with only 42 uh, projected wins. How's the uh, how's the response been from Portland fans to this uh, Kevin Pelton article? You know, I think even before uh, KP's article about the, you know, the win projections, I think a lot of people were really down uh, on what's happened to the team in the the time since getting swept by the Pelicans in the first round. Um, I think losing Ed Davis, a guy that was such a big part of the team, not only in terms of production, but also in terms of the spirit of the team and kind of giving them a little bit of attitude. Losing him was big. Um, and I, I think that even though Neil O'Shea kind of justified it as, you know, you need five guys that can really be a threat to shoot. Uh, you know, it, it didn't help that, you know, losing a guy that was as important as Ed Davis and a guy that Damian Lillard really liked. Um, so I think that was big. I mean, they lost Shabazz Napier. The, the, and I think that a lot of the, the sentiment right now is, you know, they like some of the young guys. But, uh, you know, overall, it, it isn't what a lot of people expected after getting bounced the way they did. I think people expected them to go after maybe more established talent uh, to bring in than the ones than a lot of the rookies and young guys that they basically did. Part of the reason for this projected wins drop from what they actually achieved last season is that Napier and Davis were two guys who yeah, projected out really well by RPM and, and by traditional plus minus as well, two of the higher guys on the team for their ability to contribute to winning basketball, not necessarily hugely in the box score, but their defensive abilities. Davis is one of the best rebounding big men in the league uh, as well. And, and replacing uh, Ed Davis's minutes with either Zach Collins, who did struggle at times but looked better at the end of the season, or heaven forbid Myers Leonard moves into that role, it does seem like a downgrade. Of course, you lose Napier, you replace him with Seth Curry, who didn't play at all last season due to the fractures in his legs. Nick Stauskas is brought in, or you're relying upon Gary Trent, or or is it Anthony Simons? It, it does seem like there are definite downgrades there. But how can the Blazers you know, turn this around? How can they keep not necessarily the ship afloat, but how can they? How can these guys take this step forward? What's more important? Is it Curry returning to the form he had in his first season in Dallas, or is it Zach Collins taking a big leap up and being able to be someone who can take those 20 minutes that Davis played there and be a solid defensive presence while also doing what O'Shea said and going out there and, and knocking down some shots? Yeah, I, I think Collins is going to be, you know, the big, um, important guy coming off the bench, coming into a bigger role as essentially the backup center. Uh, and also he can play some four as well alongside Nurkic. You know, he, he's proven that he can do that at times, but he's going to really have to make a huge step. And I think he's making those steps. I think he's really uh, he reads the game really well from the, on the defensive end. And I think really what he has to just get better at is the decision-making on the offensive end, you know, pass, shoot, dribble, all, all that stuff that you need to do now in the in the league if you're going to play, 
you know, you got to be able to make different types of plays. And, and I think that's the next step in Zach's evolution. He's gotten stronger. He's getting a little bit bigger. So he won't get muscled around like he was before. You know, the way things are now, guys can do anything under the rim. So you got to be able to fight down there. And, and I do think, though, whether it's Curry or Stauskas, Gary Trent Jr., shooting the three out around C. Van Dame is going to be huge. If they can get those guys to knock down three-point shots, then they can really outplay this projection. Part of the problem is that, you know, Curry didn't play last year. Stauskas has been inconsistent over his career. Trent is a rookie. So you've got a lot of unproven, and you've got Jake Lehman, who's really never held down a rotation spot as well. So you've got a lot of guys that are very unproven that you're going to need to count on to knock down threes. I think another thing that is potentially a little bit um, un- undervalued is the fact that we had uh, Mo Harkless play 1,000 fewer minutes last season than he did the year before. He had some injuries, only limited to 59 games, and when he played, only played 21 minutes. But a guy that's you know, really well-liked by advanced numbers, box score plus minus, that sort of thing, um, it works in his favor. The shooting from him has been you know, really efficient over the last couple of seasons. So do you think that you know, an increase in minutes for, for him, uh, a healthy season for, for Mo could go a long way to at least you know, arresting some of those losses from those other players? Certainly. I, I, I think one of the Mo had, I think, probably one of the more disappointing seasons last year for the Blazers um, among guys that, on their team. Because I think Aminu really bounced back. He shot the ball well. Uh, but, but Harkless, he shot the ball well as well. But at, early in the season, uh, he kind of disappeared. And he also got a little pouty and was complaining about uh, you know, how the Blazers only play through three guys was a quote that he gave after a game. And after that, whether Terry Stotts wants to admit it or not, he was benched. And that really hurt his growth. So I think maybe just another year of maturity, another year of kind of understanding what the Blazers really need him to do, I think that will help as well. Just a little bit more maturity on his part about what his role is and what the expectation is for him on the Blazers. Obviously, in this Western Conference where we're going to be having at least 11 teams pushing for playoff spots, it's going to be hard. Look, the Blazers could find themselves in the three seed. They could find themselves pretty comfortably, Eric. They could find themselves in the 10th spot this coming season, and that might only be a three-win difference between three and 10. So everyone needs to be switched on. These guys need to take steps forward. Curry needs to return to his efficient self. Um, Zach Collins needs to take big steps forward. So there is a definite challenge ahead here, but... You know, as much as things could go wrong, everything could go right and they could go wrong for other teams and Portland might find themselves back in that fourth or fifth seed or maybe even higher. Um, so you know, we look at these win projections and while it is a seven-win drop from what it was last season, things could change really, really quickly uh, across this uh, Western Conference. So there's going to be, we talk about you know, regular season or you hear people say, oh, regular season doesn't matter. It's going to be really important this season because one or two wins, as we saw last season, they finished third, but they could easily have been down in six or seven with one fewer win. Um, it's going to be even more important this coming season. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they're going to need everything, every bounce, every you know ailment to to heal. They're going to need everything they can to just get into the playoffs. I think with how good the West is, and if they want to get to a fourth or fifth seed, you know, all these guys are going to have to outplay what their projections are. And it's not like we haven't seen that happen. Uh, even with this Blazers team in seasons past, uh, you know, Damian Lillard usually finds a way to produce. And, uh, you know, if CJ McCollum can have 
maybe a little bit of an improvement because I, some of his mid-range shooting numbers were down a little bit this year. If he can get back up to the levels he was a year prior, you know, that will also help. I, and I think, you know, if Nurkic can also start the season better and not be missing basically everything around the basket, you know, that would also be a big boost to this team, uh, you know, come next season. And that could help them get into that fourth or fifth seed and, and maybe challenge Utah and Oklahoma City for that division again. With so many teams seemingly getting better in the Western Conference, it appears that Portland may have taken a step back or stagnated, but we, who knows? We're going to see how that all plays out, and of course, Eric will have all of that for you on Locked On Blazers through the offseason, through the preseason, and into the regular season. Of course, Eric, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA and talking about uh, the Blazers' fortunes. Thanks, Josh. It was a pleasure. And there you have it, another episode of Locked On NBA in the books, looking at some of those Kevin Pelton ESPN win projections, which I'm sure you'll hear more about over the coming days and weeks as well, as well as a uh, potential return to form from Danilo Gallinari of the LA Clippers. Make sure you are subscribing to this podcast, and if you could do such a thing, it would be great to go give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on Spotify as well. And make sure you're checking out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network, whether that's your favorite favorite NBA team, your favorite NFL team, whether it's your favorite baseball team, which we're starting to develop those podcasts as well. Go and check all of that out. Find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Find the network at LockedOnNBANet. Subscribe to your favorite podcast. My name is Josh Lloyd. And guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.